Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It hurts. The All Blacks lose 35 points to 7, simply blowing off the park. I'm, I look at the All Black Haka, and purely from a performance point of view, I'm not convinced that it's a performance enhancer. In fact, I think it might be a performance prohibitor. I think it just leads to our players possibly being too overstimulated. How often in the first 20 minutes of an All Black test do we find ourselves chasing the game that we just appear to be a little bit flat? Now, former All Black Steve Devine, who joined me for the first two hours of the show, disagreed with me on this one. So I thought I might get arguably the smartest man I know to join us on the program to give us his thoughts on the level of stimulation required to perhaps perform at the highest level in a sport. His name's Dr. Matt Brick. He's represented New Zealand in the sport of cycling. He was also a multiple world champion in the 1990s in the sport of duathlon. These days, he's based out of AUT Millennium in Auckland, and he's an orthopaedic surgeon. Matt Brick, good afternoon. Welcome. Hello, Mark. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Um, Okay, how much adrenaline is too much adrenaline in sport? Is there a danger of being too overstimulated prior to an athlete or a team performing at the highest level? There's no question that there is the perfect level of arousal. You know, just for our listeners, if we think about minimum level of arousal, that's when we get out of bed in the morning. You know, we can hardly walk straight. We can hardly think straight. We put the tea in the coffee cup by accident or whatever. We are still half asleep. If you take it to the other extreme, if we all think of the most adrenaline that we've ever had, it might be after an accident or after we've fallen over or after we've hurt ourselves or somebody's hit us, where we are so stimulated that we just can't think straight. We're literally panicked. Now, somewhere in between those two extremes is the ideal for an athlete. In my own situation, you know, even in my job now as an orthopedic surgeon, I have to control arousal levels. For example, I'm doing an operation and suddenly a blood vessel uh, is torn and bleeding is difficult to control. And the worst thing is to panic. The worst thing is to start yelling at everybody and uh, not thinking straight, not making rational choices. The challenge for an athlete is that even though our heart rate is sky high and you know we're tired we have to think straight particularly in a complicated you know complex sport like rugby now the challenges i see it also is that you haven't just got one person on the field you've got 15 and getting all 15 to the exact right level of arousal is quite a complicated mission and uh you know hearing your question saying is the haka overstimulating it's entirely possible that it's perfect for some members of the team but not for others uh, it may leave some people so full of adrenaline and not thinking straight that they're too close to that panic level. Others might be perfect for them to function at their, you know, at their highest level. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, it's a re- it's a really really good um, analogy and the way you did present that. Um, I mean, I look at the All Blacks, and they're there in the All Black jersey. There's a big build-up. You're playing at Twickenham in front of, what, 70-odd thousand people. You're taking on South mm-hmm. Africa. You're walking out there. You're standing there. You've got your national anthem. I would I would have thought there would already be a lot of adrenaline running already, Matt. There is no question, and I think that's why teams around the world tend to select older, more experienced players for tournament, you know, for like the World Cup, because that arousal level can go off the charts. And I think it's particularly difficult for a young athlete to stand in front of 70,000 people uh, and and not go into full-blown you know, mental meltdown where they're not at their best and not making good decisions. Mm. I think also people lose uh, the intuitive part of their brain, the right side of their brain, which is the part we need for spatial awareness. It's the part we need to see all 30 players on, you know, all 29 other players on the paddock you know, at one time. You know, we know some players are particularly good at that vision. And that vision is a right brain function. And if our left brain is just up to the you know, gunnels with adrenaline, that intuitive visionary spatial part of our game may get completely lost. Adrenaline, is it like insulin? Does it pick you up? Does it also bring you down? And how long after a big adrenaline rush can you come down from it? And what does down look like? No question it has a, you know, a half-life. It, does, you know, it has a relatively short half-life. And so it rockets up our blood pressure, our heart rate. Um, and that is relatively temporary. It's, a, it's minutes, not hours. Um, and it also stimulates our brain. Uh, it, it's that same. You know, so the best way for a listener to think about it is: When's the last time you had a terrible shock? Um, and that feeling that you're, you're you're tingling, you can't think straight, your heart's hammering your chest. That's all adrenaline. Uh, and in fact, when we use local anaesthetic with adrenaline, if we accidentally put any of it into a blood vessel like a vein. Uh, you know, the patient's in all kinds of trouble. Their, their blood pressure goes through the roof, their heart rate goes through the roof within seconds. It's very quick acting. Yeah, it's funny. I was using an example earlier from triathlon, a um, sport that we're both familiar with, but you see it with a lot of age group athletes coming out of the swim at, say, New Zealand Ironman. Suddenly there's 10,000 mm-hmm. people gathered around the transition area. Athletes get out. They think the 10,000 are looking at them, and they somehow you know, get a big adrenaline rush, feel like they need to go and put um, a bit of a performance on, only to sort of get to a certain point in the bike and then just suddenly crash. And I guess that's an example of an adrenaline rush in another sport and I'm not so so I'm, it's not just the harker it's not just rugby that I'm pointing to mm, yeah no absolutely uh, and the, the key thing about rugby is it just requires an incredible level of brain processing to play well you know as a, as a triathlete an overstimulated triathlete on the start line has a chance to settle settle into their race and and get themselves back in some sort of balance uh, whereas you know, on a rugby pitch in front of 70,000 people, the split-second decision-making requires perfect clarity, uh, and that's where I think the danger is for a, an overstimulated athlete to just not make their good decisions really, really hard. Elite-level sport, Matt, often separated by 0.001% in performance, often the difference between a good sleep and a bad night's sleep. 
mm-hmm. I don't ever believe you should put commercial decisions ahead of performance decisions. And I do wonder whether the Hark is now there because it's part of the All Black brand. Would it not be wise, perhaps, for the All Blacks, with their financial resource, with their sports doctors, um, with their links to universities, to be doing a bit of a study in terms of the possible adverse effect of the haka or possibly doing a study on the benefits of the haka before a game? That's a fantastic question, and I love research, and research is a big part of my life. Uh, And I love the idea of some sort of controlled trial. And the challenge with this particular trial is you would need to measure performance uh, with haka, without haka, and that's really difficult when you've got such a... Uh, a multifaceted outcome uh, where it, you know, you're going to be measuring the performance of 15 different people. You know, it would be relatively easy uh, to test the effects of a harker on a 100-meter sprint because you'd just be measuring time. Uh, and you could you could get an athlete to do a harker and sprint 100 meters, and then someone doesn't do a harker and sprint 100 meters, and you might get some idea over time with sufficient numbers as to what was happening. There's two parts to the harker in the sense that it's a great warm-up. It's been shown that it brings heart rate up to close to 90% of max, which is really high. But then there's the mental side. So there's the physical side, warms up your muscles, brings your blood pressure up, you know, gets your heart rate going. And there's a mental side, which I mentioned is the decision-making part of our brain, which is so critical to top-level sport. But a trial would be wonderful, but it would be outrageously difficult to uh, define your outcome measure. Uh, you, what you you could try, even at an amateur level, getting players to do a haka and then setting them complex tasks on the rugby field and, and trying to measure their ability to uh, avoid another player or to f- throw the right kind of pass. Uh, measuring at the all-black level would, I think, be very difficult. Like Top-level athletes don't like research because it interferes with their professional sport. Uh, and sports researchers at AUT Millennium have to do most of their research on uh, amateur athletes because professionals just don't want to turn up and have their program messed with. Uh, but at an amateur level, it'd be fascinating. You're listening to SENZ. My guest on the program is Dr. Matt Brack, arguably the smartest man I know. And I've got him on the program because I'm wanting to try and gain some sort of understanding what the optimal level of stimulation is for athletes prior to the big dance before just going out to compete or take part in an event. Uh, Matt, look, back in my day, I could train with some of the best guys in the world, certainly out of two out of the three disciplines that make up triathlon, but come race day, I was just so damn nervous in the week building up. Anxiety took over, and by the time the race day came, I just didn't want to be there. I'm not the only one that falls into that. Do you have any sort of thoughts or maybe some knowledge that you could pass on to people in terms of how you deal with that stuff and how you can sort of learn to control that? And what is that right level of anxiety, nerves, and confidence? What's the balance? Well, I mean, for me, um, it it was just part of my regular makeup that I went through, um, rehearsed in my mind a race coming up a hundred times, a thousand times before I got to the start line. I never sought the services of a sports psychologist, but I think they do a fantastic job. And what you're describing for yourself is just, you know, overstimulation you, you might find some university students who have exactly the same problem that in an exam situation their mind just goes blank because they are so nervous uh, that they can't give their best performance and for those kind of people I think that you know a sports psychologist uh, is the right way to go uh, to learn how to uh, 
separate out you know your an- anxious side to learn how to you know calm your breathing to learn how to you know a, p- a person may benefit from meditation may benefit from some sort of calming ritual uh, to bring them to the right level on the day um, some of our you know, best athletes probably just were born that way uh, where they had no problem facing the big day uh, you know my yeah, own so career, I was going uh, oh, sorry the, I was going to ask you th- Sorry, Matt. I was going to, sorry for interrupting. I was going to ask you that. So, for a lot of people, you think that ability to stay calm is possibly an inherent quality, and that's why they're good athletes. Uh, that's why they came up through the ranks and stood out. Uh, that's why you know when they were playing first fifteen rugby at school, they had vision, they had clarity, they had good decision making, uh, and when they played the big games in the in the national secondary schools championship, you know they shone. Uh, and they might not have been bigger, stronger, faster, but they had that mental clarity that's pretty hard to coach. Um, mm. I think that I think for many professional athletes, they were they were born that way. But that's not to say others can't improve, uh, and that's where I say you know sports psychologists have been an you know, absolute bonus in the last twenty or thirty years, helping athletes who it doesn't come naturally uh, to get to the game day. Uh, without being in a frothing panic. For you, Matt, I mean, you won a world champion, a couple of world championships. You're an exceptional athlete. Uh, was it an inherent thing for you, or was it something that you had to learn? It was the way I was made. Uh, you know, when I did my first Ironman, I, I couldn't believe that other people thought about anything other than what they were doing for the entire uh, eight or nine hours. Whereas that's all I did when I was doing an Ironman. I was thinking about my pedaling, my breathing, my eating. Uh, my body position on the bike, uh, I, that's all I thought about. Um, and I didn't think about I'd rather be on a beach or I'd rather be somewhere else or this is hurting or whatever. Uh, and no one taught me to do that. It's just what I did. And then I read you know, psychologists saying uh, this is what we should do. And, and we talk about associators and dissociators. Now, an associating athlete is thinking just about the task in front of them, nothing else. A dissociating athlete is thinking, this really hurts. I'd rather be sitting in an armchair. I hope this finishes soon. And again, uh, whether a person's associator or dissociator, I suspect it's part of our makeup. Look, I'm going out on a little bit of a tangent here, but I just want to talk a little bit about um, the performance side of sport while I've got you here, Matt. Uh, Look, negative visualisation. You can sit there and talk about all the things you want to do, right? But how important is it having a plan when things go wrong and is there a place for doing some negative visualisation? So let's use IMA as an example. So you come out of transition and you find that, well, you come out of the swim, you come into transition and you suddenly find that your back tyre's flat and so you suddenly got to deal with that. In terms of having a plan, having gone through those scenarios, is there some benefit in that? No question. No question at all. You, you can't just have plan A. You've got to have plan B, C and D as well. I love the story about Michael Phelps' coach before a big swim meet. He stood on his goggles, like within seconds before the, before the race, and so he had to race without goggles. And he said, you should have no problem. You, should, you know the number of strokes it takes you to swim a length. Uh, and that was a perfect example. You've got to be ready for adversity. Uh, and it's the same with the, with the surgery I do, is that there's not just you know, patients to be pleased to know. There's not just plan A. There's plan B, C, and D if things don't go you know, according to you know, plan A. You have to have another plan. One of the other things I found from my own experience, Matt, when I first got into my sport, I was so consumed by it, but I pretty quickly realised that's all I had. 
And so if I had a bit of a bad day training, and the more you train, the more bad days you have, sort of life sucked. And it took me some time to realise that by bringing some other things into my life, it gave me an out. It gave me somewhere to somewhere else to put my focus. Uh, is there a danger of being too passionate, too consumed by what you're doing? Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, there's a simple example in our own community here is that you know, the Cambridge um, Velodrome and the cycling program there has really boosted our, our results on the, on the world stage. You know, we really do score extremely well in track cycling for the size of our nation. But the, you know, I've heard one or two athletes say the challenge is that at a young age, they go into that environment where it's just you know, cycling, cycling, cycling. Uh, and they've shifted to a different town and they might have left their old friends behind. And the challenge is to keep some life balance. The challenge is to have other things we enjoy, other things we engage in. Uh, because you're dead right, because otherwise we become obsessive. Uh, and hmm. veering down the path of obsessive compulsion is not going to make you a better athlete because we become very brittle. Uh, and if the slightest things go wrong, we spin out. Or if we have a bad day, uh, we suffer from mood disturbance and depression. And uh, it can be a being all in uh, has real, very real dangers for any athlete. Yep, and if that's all you do and you have a bad day, well, life sucks and it's not a good place to be. Where yep. If you've got some other things, you can sort of say, well, I went out and did it. It didn't go as well, but I can still bank it. Hopefully things go a bit better tomorrow. I'm going to go now put my energies into my study or my girlfriend or relationship yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yep. And yep. during my, hey, during um, my Matt, sporting career, I, oh, sorry. Yep. Now go on. During my sporting career, I was lucky enough to have my associate with Polar Heart Rate Monitors, and I did uh, yeah, a lot of writing for them. I did a lot of lecturing for them. Uh, and it was nice to, to have a, a thinking side to my sport uh, and something else to think about other than just the training day. Mm. Um, Matt, how's your fitness? I understand you're out with uh, multiple world triathlon champion Terenzo Bazzoni. I know he's out of the sport, but you were <laughs> up in Waitakere's this morning. Did you feed it to him? Did he feed it to you? Did you put him in the box? Well, thankfully, we were both a little down on fitness, so we respected one another, and, uh, and we both survived. Economies but, of uh, scale. Yeah, the, the problem the problem is that my 60-year-old body just can, tends to break down a little more easily than it used to. So I had my hamstring repaired, uh, what, 11 weeks ago, uh, and my colleague Warren Lee did a great job, and I'm healing up really well. But uh, I, uh, I break much more easily than I used to, Mark, and, and I'm, it's not going to stop me. Uh, I, I love this too much, and uh, I hope there's plenty more races in my future, uh, but I have to train a lot more carefully than I used to. Dr. Matt Brick been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on SENZ. Some wonderful insight. Thank you, Mark. I hope you're staying fit yourself. Uh, trying to. Trying to. A lot of swimming at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Dr. Matt Brick on the programme. Some interesting thoughts there. Telephone numbers 0800 150811. So you can be overstimulated. Adrenaline can bring you up. It can bring you down. I think he makes a good point. So you've got 15 players in the All Blacks possibly 23 if the reserves are doing the harker as well. Is it a performance enhancer? Is it a performance prohibitor? For some athletes, maybe it is. For some athletes, maybe it isn't. Do we need to do a study, though, on that? Or is the harker such a big part of the All Black brand now that we're going to ignore the possible detrimental impacts of it from a performance point of view and do it no matter what.
too many times the All Blacks start poorly in tests. Not every time, but too many times. I look at the energy, I look at the effort, I look at my own experiences in sport and anxiety and all those other things, and I think it is detrimental. It's a common denominator that runs through this All Black team prior to a test match. 0800-150811, what do you make of the All Black Kaka? Good thing, bad thing? Is there any performance enhancers or performance prohibiting associated with it? 0800-150811 is the number. Uh, still taking your calls and thoughts too on that All Black loss. Steve Devine earlier today here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run saying that he's not overly concerned. He thinks it's a good thing. He's not even that concerned if we lose to France because it's all about winning a quarterfinal. I think if you're any other team other than the All Blacks, there's some merit in that. But it's trying to get that balance right, isn't it? We've sacrificed every other part of New Zealand rugby all in the name of the All Blacks because that's the cash cow. And what is it that we're selling? Well, we're selling a brand, aren't we? We're selling precision, performance and no compromise. We're selling this legacy of an 80% winning record. So if we start accepting these All Black losses, are we not then eroding the All Black brand? And then we're left with nothing? 0800 150 811 is the number you can text us here on double eight double three. 